This entire season of Retronauts is fully funded by listeners like you thanks to Patreon. If you'd like to find out how you can help and get episodes a week in advance, head on over to patreon.com slash retronauts. Thanks and enjoy the show. This week in Retronauts, computers, y'all. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Retronauts Micro, Episode 1. I'm your host, Jeremy Parrish, and that's it this week. Retronauts remains a bi-weekly show, and this season, on the off weeks, we won't be running the usual pocket episodes, which were supposed to be very short and to the point, but almost always ended up being about the same length as normal episodes. That won't be the case for micro-episodes, which will run in the 5-10 to ten minute range, maybe 15 if Bob gets chatty. There's no particular fixed format for Retronauts Micro. This episode is me on my own, but Bob has already recorded a few that involve panels of regular Retronauts contributors having a succinct conversation. You'll probably like some of these, and you'll probably hate some, but the goal here is to give the regular episodes a little extra breathing room so that we can improve their quality. Based on the episodes we've recorded to date, I'd say it's working. For my own micro-episodes, at least to begin with, I'd like to look back in detail at gaming fixtures of my childhood, things that may not necessarily prop up a full episode, but nevertheless shouldn't be forgotten. The dawn of the microcomputer is a mainstream concern for normal humans, and not just for jumbo nerds and the extravagantly wealthy, began in earnest at the beginning of the 1980s. Spurred by the modest price and tremendous user-friendliness of the Apple II, dozens of companies leapt into the budding PC market with the aim of toppling Apple. In a way, it wasn't unlike the smartphone market of today. But where we have a handful of competing standards to iPhone now, with most manufacturers using either the Android or Windows operating systems, the early 80s PC scene was absolute chaos, with everyone offering their own hardware and OS. There was DOS, ProDOS, CPM, BASIC, and many more spread across an impossible-to-track array of machines from almost as many manufacturers. Everyone remembers the few breakout successes, like the TRS-80, the ZX Spectrum, and the Commodore 64. But what are the also-rans? Like a lot of people born at a very specific time, making us old enough to have been exposed to computers during this chaotic era, but young enough to have been interested in rather than terrified of them, my first computing experiences transpired on one of these forgotten devices. In my case, I discovered computers with the TI-99-4A, an odd little computer from Texas Instruments. You know, the graphing calculator people. The 99-4A got its name from its predecessor, the 99-4. I have no idea where that one got its name, though, given TI's legacy of naming its calculators with two-digit numbers, I suppose the designation 99 was meant to say, hey, this is it. This is as big as the numbers get. This is the ultimate calculator. Except it wasn't, really. I don't remember ever using the 99-4A for any mathematical function, besides maybe math blasters or something along those lines. We didn't really use it for word processing either, because it lacked an 80-column display option. Really, the 99-4A was good for programming, assuming you could find programs for its specific language. 
Like most computers of its era, its TI Basic operating system was based on a standard, but had its own unique permutations that rendered most standard basic programs inoperable on it. Not that my friends and I understood the difference at the time. We'd spend hours inputting programs from Byte or Intermagazines or whatever and wonder why they wouldn't work. Basic is basic, right? Part of what made the 994A so unique was its architecture. It was, so far as I can determine, the world's first ever 16-bit personal computer. Not that it really took advantage of that power, it also included 8-bit components, and the interpreter that connected the two tended to slow programs down considerably. But the potential power under the system's hood spoke to TI's determination to make the 994A the best possible system they could create. They used premium components, which ended up being the system's doom, since competitors like Commodore could undercut the machine's price by using less expensive parts. Ultimately, the resulting price wars bankrupted TI, and the 994A slunk away from the market after selling only a few million units. That wasn't a terrible number for those days, but it didn't begin to compare to the success that the VIC-20 or C64 saw. Anecdotally, the 994A appears to have been limited to a regional phenomenon, and I happened to be right at the epicenter. My hometown, Lubbock, Texas, played host to one of TI's manufacturing plants, and 994As were ubiquitous in schools and businesses for years, long after TI dropped the system, in fact. I'm sure they picked Lubbock because it was at the fringes of Silicon Prairie, Texas's Silicon Valley equivalent in the 80s. Silicon Prairie centered on Dallas, a six-hour drive from Lubbock, which, in West Texas, is basically next door, and with massively less expensive overhead. I can only assume using a non-TI computer in Lubbock back then was the equivalent of driving a Honda in Detroit in the 70s, bound to get someone angry and possibly resulting in physical harm to the offending consumer. While I was a bit too young to understand the politics of it all, or the fact that there were dozens of other computer standards out there jockeying for a place with TI's seemingly omnipresent device, I actually didn't care. Because despite its short life and specific design, 994A made for a pretty solid gaming device. For some bizarre reason, TI decided to distribute software primarily on solid-state cartridges rather than on diskette or tape. I'm sure that contributed to the system's financial woes, but at the same time, it made for a decidedly kid-friendly computer. Gaming on TI-994A was the very definition of plug-and-play. Stick one of those rugged cartridges into the computer and it would run just fine. The MSX standard was based around the same principle, which undoubtedly played a part in that system's success as a gaming platform. It would be nice to frame the 994A as the American version of the MSX, but that's not really how history played out. TI's computer lacked the wide support that the MSX enjoyed, and its price made it much less attractive to general audiences. The 994A did see a handful of familiar arcade titles in its short life, including a number of big hits like Congo Bongo and Burger Time, but for the most part TI produced its own games. This makes the 994A an interesting and unique little corner of gaming history, with a number of titles never seen anywhere else. Parsec, for example, cribbed from Defender pretty openly, but it played as more of a standard shooter. Tunnels of Doom was a primitive computer RPG. Chisholm Trail was a kind of Robotron-ish top-down shooter, but with a Western theme. Hunt the Wumpus took the old text game Wumpus and added a visual element to it to make it accessible to younger players. I would never go so far as to say the 994A produced anything particularly classic, timeless, or essential because I wouldn't want to lie. Nevertheless, it was a fascinating little machine. At the very least, its game offerings ensured every kid in the classroom jockeyed for a turn at the system during free time. TI-994A hasn't been completely forgotten. Though it's little more than a footnote in history, game enthusiasts still seek it out as an interesting and pleasantly finite platform to add to their collections. The system even played part in a subplot of AMC's 80s Silicon Prairie drama Halt and Catch Fire earlier this year. Granted, the subplot had to do with how the computer was destroying Texas Instruments and the need to kill it off as quickly as possible, but even so. When was the last time you saw the Exidy Sorcerer or the Video Brain Family Computer show up in a major Hollywood production, eh? 
Gone but not forgotten, the TI-99 4A probably deserved better than it ultimately got. Not a lot better, mind you, but a bit. Anyway, I'm Jeremy Parrish, and thanks for listening to this debut piece of Retronauts Micro. If you hated it, well, next week the group will be back with a regular episode for you. Until then, you can find us at Retronauts.com and as partners on usgamer.net. We're on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, SoundCloud, and pretty much any other form of social media you can imagine as Retronauts. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, where you can leave us positive or negative feedback as your heart guides you. And of course, this season of Retronauts is funded by Patreon, www.patreon.com retronauts. Your monthly donations help pay for things like recording studio rental time and web hosting. And the more funds we receive, the more we can do and the more professionally we can do it. So thanks for your support. And as I said, we'll be back next week.